Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by former Syracuse basketball player Michael Benajay. I talked with Mike about playing for both Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski. His thoughts on Coach K's retirement and how he thinks Beheim will handle his retirement. And pickle juice. We had to talk about pickle juice. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. And uh, today we've got a great guest, former Syracuse basketball player Michael Benajay. Uh, Silent G. How are you, Mike? Oh, man, I like the intro so far. appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, you certainly were a fan favorite uh, during your career at Syracuse, and you, you topped it off with that run to the Final Four. And we're going to talk about that. But, you know, I want us to talk to you right off the bat. You know, before you came to Syracuse, you spent one year at Duke. Yeah. And you were coach there was Michael, uh, Mike Krzyzewski. And Coach, Coach Krzyzewski just retired, called it a career, um, you know, this past year, you know, walked off the stage there at the Final Four. What were your thoughts on, on Coach K and, and his decision to retire at this point? I think it was, it was that time. Uh, it's kind of sad the way he went out. And I was a little conflicted watching the game because, you know, when you leave a program, you leave for your own personal reasons. But then at the end of the day, my last game at college was against USC and they beat me. So I, I didn't know who to root for in that game. and uh, But, yeah, I, as far as Coach K, uh, there's just a certain level of greatness, at least from my perspective when it comes to him. Um, and to see him kind of go out against UNC, it just left a bad taste in my mouth personally. <laughs> it's kind of ironic how things ended for him. But, like, uh, overall, one hell of a coach, one hell of a career. And, uh, you know, it just brought back memories for me of being a Duke just watching the game. You know, I never put it together that North Carolina ended Kay's career in the Final Four, and Carolina also ended your college career at the Final <laughs> Four. I, I'm going to go take off this blue shirt. I'll be back. Yeah, I'm going to get colors right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find something orange just for you. <laughs> um, but what was it like for you as a college player to play for two coaches who were both in the Hall of Fame? It's cool because you get a chance to see two two guys who really compete and really get after it in different ways. Uh, you know, they're two different people, but I feel like both of them have that, like, drive, that rage inside to, like, really get the best out of their players and try to win every game. Um, with Coach K, I was only there for one year, so I didn't get the full experience as I did with Coach Beheim. But there was times, like, playing, not playing, starter, not starter, he treated everybody the same. He expected greatness out of all of them. Uh, even if it was a practice or a game, like the situation just didn't matter. He was always like very, what's the word? Uh, I don't want to use the word militant, but like he was very like narrow focused minded. And uh, I think it just carried over to his players and his organization uh, with coach Beheim is obviously greatness there. Uh, I just felt like I was able to be myself on the court and uh, overall, you know, I had a good career uh, at Syracuse, but uh, I think he was a big part of it. You know, back in those days, I mean, it's different now with the transfer portal. But back when you transferred, Syracuse had not taken a lot of transfers up until then. Uh, you know, only a few, like a Wes Johnson, uh, maybe yeah. uh, Leo Routens, a Ryan Blackwell. You know, 
Jim reached out to Mike Krzyzewski to, to learn about you, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He told me that they, I think uh, I came during the summer. We were playing pickup, uh, you know, Syracuse, we were playing pickup. And um, I, I don't think I had like a good, uh, a good like game. I was playing pickup or whatever, but he basically told me to the side and was like, hey, uh, you know, I talked to Coach K about you. But he didn't, he didn't even tell me anything afterwards. I was just kind of like, uh, like, what you hear? But, uh, yeah, you know, they talked. And uh, the fact that he took me out there talking to Coach K, I guess Coach K had good things to say. When you transferred, you made the decision to transfer from Duke after the 2012 season. Syracuse yes. is in the Big East. Would you have transferred to Syracuse a year later when you would have known that they were, the, they were going to join the ACC? It's kind of funny how that worked out. I was able to kind of take advantage of the rule just because if you transfer in conference, you lose your eligibility. But then I transferred to a team that's transferring into the conference. So I kind of, I don't know, it just worked out for me. But uh, I always wanted to play in the Big East. Uh, growing up, I was a Big East fan um, with all the teams and how loaded it was, but it kind of dissolved over the years. But yeah, I was always a Big East fan. And then once I found out that like I had the opportunity to go back to the ACC without losing my yeah, eligibility, it kind of made things better. So in joining Syracuse and the season you sit out, because back then yeah. you had to sit out as a transfer, that's Syracuse's last year in the Big East. So your, yeah. your redshirt sophomore year, Syracuse is now in the ACC, which means you got to go back and play Duke at Cameron. What was that like for you, especially with the Cameron crazies? It's a, playing in a Syracuse uniform at Duke, it's probably like one of my best like feelings as a player, just the hostility of the Duke fans, like being cheered for crazy and then being rooted against crazy. It was just a good environment to be in. But I was very nervous my junior year. I mean, my first year coming into the Cameron in the Syracuse uniform, I was very nervous, like shaking as I'm getting something to the game type of deal. But uh, over the years, especially my senior year, it's just a level of comfort that just came with it. You know, those first or first couple trips back to Cameron, did you ever look in the stands and say somebody like, wait a second, you were in my English class. Why are you yelling at yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whole student section. I think in Cameron they had one side of the court, just all student sections. And uh, I was able to kind of, as I'm taking the ball out, you know, recognize or see some people and uh, really just um, – you know, just try to block them out while I'm playing the game. But I did recognize a lot of people in the stands. <laughs> now, Duke basketball players have to – they you room or you, your dorm is on the opposite side of campus with all the other freshmen, right? Was that still the – was that rule yeah. in place when you were there? Yeah, like I, I was literally um, amongst other freshmen. Uh, you know, my roommates were basketball players. But other than that, like I was on – in the dining hall, like in the room, the hallways, the dorms, like all with freshman students. That's a Shashevsky thing, right? He keeps it that way? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, it was kind of just how it was. I guess before I got there, I didn't really ask questions. I just went along with the flow. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you form any friendships with any of the Duke players or, or even a Duke student that, you know, they're still around today in your life? I just played Quinn Cook in the G League uh, not too long ago. Uh, you know, we talked after uh, basketball stuff, not basketball stuff. He was my roommate my freshman year. So uh, there's been some relationships, uh, some students, you know, not as big name profile guys, but that I talked to recently as well. 
Now, your dad, Frank, was a yeah. pretty good soccer player, played, played soccer in college. Yeah. How come, how come you went to basketball? Did you ever play soccer? First of all, like me and him are two different heights, <laughs> two different builds. He's more, he's more solid. I'm more tall and lean. Uh, I don't even think he's like six foot. I'm like six, six. Uh, but also, you know, he grew up in Africa and moved over towards college. I was born in the States. And so it was just two different cultures, two different body types. And I don't know. I just gravitated to basketball more. Yeah. About the only six, six guys you see on a soccer field are in goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely over the height average. You know, we mentioned earlier, we mentioned that transfer portal and kids these days can transfer. They don't have to sit out. When you transferred from Duke to Syracuse, you did sit out. Was that a bad thing or did that help you? Or did you look back on it and go, man, I wish I could have played right away? Uh, During it, I wish I could have played right away. But uh, what it did give me the chance to do is kind of learn the system, learn the zone. Uh, And at the time, I wasn't a point guard. And so it helped me, like, kind of develop some point guard skills uh, without, like, being thrown into the fire and pretty much just, like, not being – good <laughs> uh, I spent the whole year working with GMAC we did a lot of ball handling stuff so uh, I kind of transitioned into point guard but I guess that one year of not playing uh, in actual games like I benefited from it yeah your redshirt sophomore year so the first year you're eligible to play at Syracuse you're you're coming off the bench in that role but that was the team that started 25 and 0 right yeah yeah we're balling uh Tyler and his team um yeah the regular season we had was probably the best regular season I've been a part of uh you know we didn't our postseason wasn't as we thought it would our postseason didn't go as if we thought it would with how good we were during the regular season but it was a lot of roller coasters on that one well why didn't that team do better at the end of this after that 25 and 0 start it was kind of a struggle down the stretch and then of course the second round loss to Dayton what happened <laughs> what happened uh, who knows? You know, you know I, I didn't really think about it too much, uh, but I guess just being in the game of basketball for so long, you see it with the NBA sometimes. It's like uh, teams that go through that adversity. Uh, it can either tear you down or it can literally like make you stronger. And I think uh, the regular season was kind of like a cakewalk. And there were teams that really challenged us, like Ennis had to hit a shot from half court just to win a game. But when you're winning games – and you're just winning it like nonstop. Sometimes you get that confidence or that lack of fear that you could lose. And uh, I think it's important to have the confidence and the fear at the same time because it keeps you grounded. I got to ask one question. One question, yeah. one more about that season. Your first trip back to Duke and Cameron. CJ Fair drives baseline. Rodney Hood comes over. <laughs> it was a block for sure. <laughs> it was a block. <laughs> yeah. All right. But like, it is one of those things, like, if you take a charge in Cameron Indoor Stadium, you're probably going to get the benefit of the doubt, even if you're moving or not. And, <laughs> and, yeah, I hadn't talked to somebody who had so many conversations about this play, like, but, I, of course, I'm biased, you know, so. Wait, what did you see? What did you think? <laughs> in the moment, I'll, ask you, I'll be honest, in the moment, I had a terrible vantage point. I was over yeah. on the sideline on the wing, which would have been the, the worst place in the world to but I've seen the video since mm-hmm. CJ was gathering and going up. That's a block. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen the replay a billion times after the game. I had to make sure it was crazy call. What was your vantage point of coach Behan? Like as all, like throughout my whole career. 
No, no, no. Right then, the, the, the CJ gets called for the charge, and of course, Coach Beheim goes crazy and gets the two technical fouls and gets tossed. <laughs> Where were you then, and what did you see? And if I remember correctly, I can't remember if I was on the court or not, but if I remember correctly, I think I was on the bench. And so I'm like sitting on the right side of him. I'm looking down at the bench and I'm just seeing him take his coat off. I'm seeing him. I'm seeing the assistants, if I remember correctly, try to get up and like keep his coat on, try to calm him down. But of course, you know what happened, happened. So he's gone. I think Coach Hop took over, right, for the rest of it. Is that he had 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah, he had 10 seconds to coach. So. <laughs> That was a wild, uh, a wild last minute of the game. Um, the next season, 2015, you know, it's a tough year. That was the year where, and I think it was in January or early February, the school announces they're going to take that self-imposed, a self-imposed ban and yeah. not go to tournament. What was that like for you guys uh, to basically, I mean, in my opinion, that kind of ends your season at whenever you say that. Yeah, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I can only speak for myself. Uh, I felt bad for rocking Christmas. That was the only thing that uh, really like weighed on me mentally because I was also his roommate and uh, we knew each other since high school. And to see him have su such a good senior year, like I feel like he was very dominant. But then at the end of the day, it was like once this regular season is done, like we're done, you know, so it was kind of weird. Is like, what are you playing for? But that's the only thought of mine. Because um, at the time, I didn't think I was leaving. So I thought, like, I, I get another year after this. But that was the only thought that came to mind for me. It wasn't really a distraction, like, during the season, just because, you know, you got enough plate on your table, like, studying, books, <laughs> and, and all that stuff. Like, I would just focus on basketball at that point. That's the, that's the season where Jerry McNamara really starts working with you on your point guard skills in practices yeah. it always seemed like there was a it was designed for that next year but that that year was did jerry or coach Beheim talk to you then about we need to work on your point guard skills because you're the point guard your senior season honestly that's that wasn't really the conversation uh it was one of those things where uh jerry was just um i call him g mac it's weird for me to call him jerry g mac uh me and him just like we really got after it, whether it was practice or post-practice workouts. I think just the the nature of just working hard, because uh, I thought I always knew he was going to bring it to our guard groups when we switch up uh, bigs, forwards, and guards. Yeah. And so I had to be ready. And uh, but as far as like playing the point guard spot, yeah, I had talks with all assistant coaches and the head coach of what to expect, what not to do when I'm on the court, make sure you know my responsibilities and everything. But uh, it wasn't really a talk like a talk like hey you're going to be point guard it kind of just happened <laughs> but uh the skill work and the preparation behind the scenes I think was what was got me ready of course that senior season the next year you do take over you're you're kind of the de facto point guard that year I think you average yeah. like over four assists a game even while you're also one of the team's leading scorers what was that mm -hmm. like to be six foot six to be at the point guard position and, and basically it's a position that you haven't played that much at all in your career. It was a good feeling uh, just because when you're at the point guard spot, you really dictate everything, at least offensively, right? Like it starts with you, especially if you're like on the ball, like some point guards, you know, they get off of it. Like you got point forwards nowadays, but in my situation, I was the point guard. And so it's like whatever play we're running, unless coach calls something from the sideline, I'm choosing. Um, 
you're choosing like it just starts with you so it comes with a level of responsibility but it also like it's good to know that like you can dictate and control certain aspects of the game you know that team lost four of its last five regular season games and then you go to the acc tournament and you lose to Pitt in your very first game there so you've lost five out of six going into the ncaa tournament yeah not exactly a team that anybody's going to predict is going to go to the final four. Um, what was happening at that point in the season? Do you remember what, what the team's kind of overall attitude was down the stretch there and, and then going into the tournament? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Um, we had a fun year, like uh, not even counting basketball. I think uh, Tyler Lydon was on that team, uh, Trevor Cooney. Like We just had a, a lot of guys who just enjoyed laughing and joking. And so, uh, you know, it's never a good look when you lose games to, like, be laughing and joking. Like, when we lose games, especially during that time period, in the locker room on the court, you feel it. No one's happier around. But the next day, we were so quick to just brush things off and get it going again. And I think uh, that kind of helped carry over, like, being ready to play despite losing <laughs> the five out of six that you talked about. You know, that's the year that Coach Beheim serves the suspension. Yeah. You, he wasn't around for nine games and a, I forget how many days. What was that like for you guys? It was weird. Uh, you know, just because he, he's such an icon and he's an icon across the country for college basketball. But on top of that, he is, um, I don't know, he's just a, a big part of our everyday schedule. Like, the vibe changes when he walks in. So he could be on the court, you know, just joking around laughing. But as soon as Coach Bayon hits the court, like the whole scene just changes. Everybody's like, okay, what's he going to say? Like every, it, the anticipation is real. And to have that just taken away on a day-to-day basis, you kind of at first like, okay, well, what do we do? You're just kind of looking around and like trying to figure out what's next. You know, it's interesting. We can take some of the some of our listeners here in behind the curtain. At Syracuse Practices – I need your, there's your video. There's Michael again. <laughs> At Syracuse practices, Coach Beheim doesn't usually get there 20 to 30 minutes early. He comes in and it's pretty close to start time. A whistle blows and you guys all run to over where, where he is. And you, there's like a circle around Coach Beheim. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's a minute and then you guys go off to your stations. And other times it could be five or 10 minutes. Yeah. And if you're there, you're like, man, you wish you could hear what he's saying for, you know, is he, you know, getting on them? Is he blasting them? Is he, you know, but you're right. He sets the tone when he walks onto the floor, right? Yeah. Uh, To piggyback on that, like, you don't even know sometimes if he's going to come down at four on the dot, 402, 403. Sometimes it's 357. So like, it's always when you're around that four, you start looking over your shoulder. You start looking up at the office. Is he there? Like, what's going on? It, it, it doesn't matter where you're at in the court. You could be in the weight room, in the bathroom, in the locker room, on the court somewhere. When that horn goes off, everybody goes to the same spot every single day to hear what he has to say. So you never know. He kind of keeps you on your toes with that. <laughs> um, so he returns. And it was hey, a hey, tough Mike, give me one second. I got to charge this uh, real quick. I don't want it to die on us. We do not want to lose Michael Benajay in the middle of the podcast. We're pulling back the curtain here. We're breaking the fourth wall. (laughs) 
location cares. New location. All right. All right. We're ready. All right wait a second. Corruption. Let's let's carry on. <laughs> you look like you are now sitting in a locker. I am. <laughs> I, I am in my locker room at OKC Blue. The OKC Blue, the G League, and you you spent this past season with them. Yeah, correct. All right, so the season's over, right? You're working out right now? Yeah, right now, just strength training, uh, you know, trying to figure out what my next move is going to be, whether it's overseas, G League again. Uh, that's been like the day-to-day for me right now, Oklahoma. You have spent time in both the G League for a few seasons, a couple different franchises. Mm-hmm. You've spent time overseas, right, in Germany? Yeah. When a player Lithuania. In, your, in Lithuania and Germany. Um a player in your position, what goes into that decision as to, you know, where you're going to try to go? Yeah, it's kind of tricky. It's kind of tricky because, one, I feel like the NBA is a young person's league. And so the older you get, sometimes you just feel like you're losing, like the NBA interest. Mm-hmm. But who, who knows, right? Because uh, you got some people that come overseas. I still have aspirations to go to the NBA or get back in it, I should say. But, um, yeah, I guess the factors are you kind of just got to determine, like, what kind of deals are you getting overseas, like finance-wise, uh, your situation in the G League? Because uh, G League basketball style of play is, is totally different from overseas style basketball. And, like, even the NBA is kind of a little different than G League as well. So, like, all three leagues are, like, playing a different style of basketball. Really? Yeah. What's the difference between the G League and Europe? The G League, you're trying to score as fast as possible. Like – Rarely ever will the ball like be on, in a player's hands or on a team's hands with like six seconds left on the shot clock. Like it just doesn't happen. Like people are always trying to score right away. Like as soon as you get off half court, uh, especially it's a side to side. There's no transition. Like very rarely will you just have an up and down game. Like they really have to execute in half court. Really? Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you enjoy your time over there in, in both Lithuania and Germany? Germany, yes. Uh, the style of play was uh, I was able to kind of come in and impose my will just athletically. Uh, I was uh, at one point in the league, one of the top scorers. And, uh, you know, my team didn't really do that good. I think we was at the bottom of the league uh, for the majority of it. That was like a crazy experience and stuff. I had like four head coaches. But um, overall, uh, yeah, overall, individually, uh, I did pretty well over there. I did want to ask you a couple questions, though. I know the listeners are going to want to know. The Virginia game in the Elite Eight in Chicago, yeah. you guys are down, I think it was 14 or points. And, of course, 14 points against Virginia probably feels like 30. It does. What went, <laughs> what, yeah, what went into that comeback? They just weren't prepared. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, – I guess uh, it's easy to kind of say, oh, we did this, we did that. No, they dropped the ball. Um, we kind of like just brought some pressure. And I guess when we came out the zone, they just did not know or did not expect us to do so. Yeah. And they just they just lost their composure. And once we kind of brought the lead down and down and got close, then, then we got confidence back and then we kind of just ran with it. But uh, that was their game that they lost. Really now? Yeah. Okay. I've heard yeah. Coach Beheim at halftime told you guys you were going to win. Yeah, he did. Yeah. At he, halftime. Coach, Coach Beheim is a stone cold killer, Mike. 
<laughs> do you think he really believed that? Or do you think he was trying to make you guys believe it? I had no idea. If I had to guess, maybe try to make us believe it. But, um, sometimes when he's saying stuff, you don't know where it's coming from. Like, you don't know if that's how he feels or he's playing mind games. Like, with Coach Barron, sometimes he's telling us stuff and we just got to take it for what it is. Um, after that game, there is an amazing picture of you over on the Virginia bench. And I think it was their point guard. I think it was London Perantes. And you went over and you're consoling him. Yeah. What made you go over there? What Take me through that post-game. Um, he, he's a player that I respected and uh, in all our games versus him. He made uh, my job difficult, just being at the top of the zone, guarding him. Uh, he, just, he just made my life hard. And so, um, like, even though my team beat his, I couldn't just, like, see him going through it and acknowledge the fact that, like, because we were both point guards as well. Like, he's guarding me. And uh, so I couldn't see him struggling when at times I feel like he did get the best of me. And so it'd be one thing if, like, you know, I just dominated him. But, like, I didn't feel that way. I felt like he at times really, like, got the better of me. And But it just my team won. And so I couldn't, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like I had to say something to him. That's cool. That's really cool. I know a lot of people remember that moment. You know, before I let you go, one more thing. Yeah. Are you still drinking pickle juice? <laughs> no, no, those days are over. Those days are over. It was, it was a fad. It was a college thing. <laughs> you know, there were times, and for those who don't know or don't remember, Mike's senior year, he never came off the floor. He averaged like 40 minutes a game. And yeah. supposedly pickle juice replenished your fluids or yeah. I don't yeah apparently like it was just electro it was electrolytes thing like I was always sweating out electrolytes and that was like a good way to put it back in me like quick and fast now you I don't know if you know this the reporter in me who's always skeptical <laughs> I thought that there was a good chance that you were just spoofing us getting us to believe that you were drinking pickle juice and it went like that when you came out one time with a pickle jar that it was like yeah. lemonade or something it was Oh, man, no. It, it was actually pickle juice. All right, that's what I wanted to hear. It was actually pickle juice. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how that got started, but it, it was a thing. Yeah, it definitely was a thing. <laughs> well, you'll always be remembered for the guy who had the pickle jar uh, in the locker room. And it must have worked. You played forever, right? You, you, you never came off the floor your senior year. Yeah, I mean, hey, if it did help me, I, I should probably pick that pickle juice can back up if it truly helped me. <laughs> well, I, I, I just I couldn't let this podcast go without asking you about that again. So, <laughs> hey, Mike, listen, this has been a lot of fun. It, it's been a long time since you and I had talked. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for and having good me. Luck. <laughs> and good luck with the next season and wherever you know the, your career takes you next year. We'll be watching. I want to thank Mike for joining me on the podcast today, and thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.